right? You heard that? Got it. Did you hear that? Okay. All right. So welcome to our first attempt at this podcast. So this is grumblings from the cheap seats uh, to our two listeners who will be us out there for now. Uh, this is this is my mom. This is to actually I'm closer to your mom right now, so I can. Uh, just, just talk really work. loud. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, this is uh, grumblings from uh, uh, two dads who also like sports. So we just want want somewhere to vent about uh, what we want to talk about. And uh, we don't care if you don't want to listen to it because we want to talk about it. And we do this by message several times a day. So we figured why not record it and see if anybody cares. Anything to add, Will? Uh, no, uh, just say hi to my mom. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. We'll see how it goes. And, you know, one day we'll be famous. Uh, I'll just add, uh, we didn't introduce ourselves. So I'm James. I, I, I uh, and uh, my co-host is Will. And uh, we're in, uh, we're in, uh, we live in, uh, in Durham. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about Durham local sports and uh, high school stuff and elementary school things. Um, and I'd, I'd like to finish that with like, Will, are you sure your mom's going to listen to this? Because I don't think she's going to listen to this. She's already tuned out. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess, I guess the form, sorry, go ahead. No, it was, it was a solid five minutes. Yeah. So I think, I think that the, uh, I think that the, uh, the format of this is going to evolve, but, but what we're really going to do is just think of talking points that are like uh, relevant to the, to the week that was and to what's coming the next week, and we'll just talk through them. And I see somebody in the background poking her head in and disrupting everything and making funny yeah. faces. We're, we're already off the rails. Yeah, she's totally doing the uh, David Letterman thing on the news. I know, I know what she's doing. Why are you off the rails? Oh, there she is. Cameo. Hey, famous now. Will's yeah. mom is watching. She says hi. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, uh, where do you want to start? You want to start with the Leafs? I, I think that's probably most relevant. Everybody's talking about that right now. So, that's, I mean, it, uh, you know, especially in light of last night. Yeah, so, I mean, we can start there. Um, um, did you watch the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. And um, you can't really argue with the comeback. You can't argue with the effort, but I think there's a legit expectation that. <laughs> The result last night was probable. I think so. I think I think that I felt bad for um, what's his name? Who had to give it give away? I don't want to mispronounce his name. Galchenyuk. Galchenyuk. Um, yeah. Didn't he assist on on one or both of the goals, on the comeback goals? He was involved in one of them. Well, he he had three three points in game four, and you know he, I, I've been a proponent of him getting in, especially with the injuries and the loss of Foligno. Um, and, you know, with the history of, you know, him playing for Montreal and being drafted by Montreal, <clears throat> it was a little bit poetic, but there's a reason this guy's been on seven teams in, I think, like nine years. Yeah. And <clears throat> there was a little bit of relevance in that last night. And I get everybody's tired and I get everybody's gripping their sticks a little bit harder and I get everybody kind of wants to be the hero, but I, I, I don't know what that was or what that attempt was. And it, I... Poor Campbell. I mean, he was hung out to dry. Oh, he had no chance. Like as soon as there was a two-on-zero, you knew it was over. But like, I, sorry, I, I didn't see a lot of hustle back either. And and I, I think guys are gassed. I think um, I, I, I think one trivial issue about the North Division and you know what happened with Vancouver and the COVID shutdown is it's hard to play back-to-backs in the playoffs. And and so these guys are on. Um, for sure their, their, their fourth game in three nights 
and you, you, you're dealing with odd momentum and you're dealing with empty stadiums and it just it, the entire game last night felt sloppy and the entire game felt forced and Montreal was playing for their season so the expectation was real um, the comeback was valiant and the comeback was exciting but uh, yeah, I'm not disappointed. I think it'll be fun to go back in there on Saturday night back in Montreal, and there'll be 2,500 people in the stands, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, th- th- there's no way the Leafs are going to lose this series. I think it's just they're making it a little bit harder on themselves than they had to. Well, I mean, I think it was telling yesterday that uh, the offense came from from who it came from. Muzzin. Um, from Muzzin. Uh, like, that, that, that's not who should be leading your comeback. Right. So, so, and like, frankly, like, I don't know, like the, 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 um, the, um, the tip in that he had on the third goal. Mm -hmm. um, He's not like a skilled player. Like, was that a mistake? Was that a mistake? That was right place, right time. But hey, playoffs are greasy goals. No, I know. I know. That's not my point, though. My point is just that, like, I, I didn't really have like a realistic expectation that, like, they were really like, that's not who you would have expected to be in front of the net at that point. Like, where was everybody else, right? Of course. Well, and now Muzzin officially has more goals this series than Matthews and Marner combined. So, right. And, but when you get into the playoffs and when you're dealing with this kind of format, it, it, it's a four-line game, and your top guys are up against their grinders, and then our grinders are up against their top guys, and guys get lucky. You, you need full-depth scoring. You know, again – we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit later and probably in better detail. They've, they've lost Tavares. And I think that was a huge boost him being in the, in the press box last night and showing up for practice the, the day before, but they're without their second line center. They were without their replacement second line center and Felino. They traded for Riley Nash who for whatever reason, they don't seem to want to play. And so you're, you're, you're going to get offense from guys that you don't expect to get offense from. I just, I hope that if, and I'm going to say if because I don't like being overconfident, the Leafs get past Montreal, I think we'll see an entirely different series against Winnipeg, and that's where you're going to see Matthews and Marner doing what they're supposed to do. I think so, too. But, like, but like the whole thing will, will I'm going to mispronounce his name again, um, the guy, G. Galchenyuk. Galchenyuk. Just, just call him G. Call him Swaggy G. G. Swaggy G. Um, I, like, I think he got overconfident. And he tried to do something. Do you remember, like, was this like last year's team or, or years of uh, teams of years past where they tried to get too cute? Every um, year. Yeah. It's, so, it's every year. And I, I get pretty, whatever. I, I'm, I'm not a hockey player. I'm not an analyst. I'm just a guy who yells at his TV and gets really upset about irrational things. But I see a lot in this team, especially with the younger kids. And hey, it works. Matthew scored, he scored 41 goals and Marner has something like 67 assists. So it works, but they seem to like that extra pass. They seem to like that drop pass. They seem to like trying to find that open seam. And I think what might be telling right now is that doesn't work in the grinding Stanley Cup playoffs. And you see the turnovers and you see the lack of possession. And you see Montreal, every goal that Montreal scored, it's been dirty, it's been in front of the net, and it's just been hacking at pucks. And there's always been a presence, and there's always been someone in the way, and there's always been pressure in the crease. You're not seeing the drop pass at the blue line and the guys coming in one-on-one and going top shelf. It's it's a different style of games. Hey, hey, Matthews, he's been big on the forecheck. He's been in there. But I haven't seen a whole lot of Mitch Marner lately, and I think it might be kind of catching up with him. 
Maybe. And then, and then that's the other thing is like Gilchenyuk or sorry, Swaggy G. Um, all he needed to do was carry it out of the zone. He didn't have to make that pass, right? Like no, it was just, just stay on the boards. Help was coming. Yeah, that's and, it. And then like, and like, did everybody hang him out the dry? I, maybe they did, right? It, like, it, it's what, what's funny is if you look at the replay and you just see what's, there was no one close. Like no. usually, usually when you see those um, those open ice passes and those cross seam passes, there's at least someone in proximity. But I, I can't remember who he was on ice with. It might have been with Thornton uh, and Nylander, uh, but they were up at the goal. Like, like they were up inside the hash marks and Galchenyuk was sort of down on the high boards by the blue line and he just threw it out to the middle and there was no one there. There's nobody there. And it's, not, and, and it's not even like he had defense behind him because, well, it was a 2 on 0 And it took, I, I think it was Muzzin and, um, I don't know, it might have been Sandine. That was that line, I think. Well, they, but they, they, they weren't even close to getting back. Like that, that's how far up everybody was. So he just dumped it out to nowhere. Well, I was just like, I think it was a massive, oh no, not, I think it was for sure like a massive uh, brain fart and like it cost them the game. But like, thankfully, like, I mean, that was just handed to Montreal. I, I don't think that this is any kind of like momentum shift or like a big deal. Like, no, Montreal played the exact same way they played the last, the era, the, sorry, the first four games. And it just, they got some breaks and the Leafs were a little bit sloppy. And um, Sandine, you know, he sat out the first game. Or no, sorry, he played the first game and they took him out in the third, I think, for Dermott. Um, and he's looked pretty good. Like, he's done well. He's done well on the power play. But he was overwhelmed yesterday. Every, I think every goal he was on the ice for. And he was responsible for two of the three giveaways. Um, I don't know if that's rookie nerves. I, I don't know if that's maybe he needs to be playing with somebody other than Bogosian. Um, but no, he, he didn't look good. No, but I mean, overall, like, like I said, like, I think they'll still be, I think they'll still be fine. Um, I'm, I'm not worried. I, th I think it's over on Saturday night. Um, yeah, I, I and, and I think it's, I think it's going to be over with a bit of authority. Um, I don't oh, think, I think it's so going to be a grinding game. I think um, I'd be very surprised if Toronto doesn't come out in the first period with their legs on fire. And it's almost put away in the first 20 minutes. No, I agree. Um, I think they don't have much of a choice, um, no. but, to, but to do that, but like, um, yeah, they'll, they'll be okay. Uh, and like, I don't know, like they, I, I, this is uh, for sure. This is not why this happened. And if it was, then they're stupid, but I suppose like every other day that they add to this series is another day in which Tavares gets better. hundred percent. And, and Foligno, I think. Foligno, yeah. I, I think Tavares, I mean, you know, they, the, the report was that there was a, he was out two weeks with a knee injury um, on top of whatever the concussion issue was, and he was out skating yesterday. So, you know, was it a, I think Chris Johnson said it was a 15-minute skate. He wasn't going very hard. There was a little bit of puck handling and a few shots, but he was on the ice. And if you're dealing with anything that's significant, like an MCL or an ACL, I mean, you, you're on a crutch at this point. So well, who's going to forget? Who's going to forget, Low? Like, I, I mean... I mean, it's like historical lore now, but what was it like 93, I think, when Doug Gilmore basically had had to have like shots into his ankle every game yeah. just so he can play. Yeah. Um, I think at this time, I think if this were, I'm making this up, but I have a feeling like if this were the third round of the playoffs and if it was a little bit of a knee injury, um, if it wasn't a head thing that he may be, he may be trying to play through something. Um, and Felino will be playing for sure. Yeah, but there's no 
point now. Like, no, uh, like, I, I don't think they're that worried. Uh, no. Right now. And if you think back to um, 2004, which is the last time there was any sort of playoff of significance, Sundin went down in the first round. I think it was with like a broken forearm. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And, and they went to the conference final and they did it on the back of Gary Roberts and Alan McCollum. Yeah. So it can be done. And this is a far deeper team than that was. So you got to look to who's in the room and you got to look to who can get it done. And, you know, they, last night it was, it was Muzzin. And the night before it was the old guys. It was Thornton and Spezza. Um, It'll get done. And again, like listening to the broadcast and listening to sports radio, like we seem to do 24 seven there, there seems to be a bit of a, a conundrum on Thornton and what do you do with Thornton? Um, Thornton plays every game for me. And, and, and I don't care if he plays 10 minutes and I don't care if he's a minus four. There needs to be that significance and there needs to be that grumpy old guy on the bench who's going to tell everybody to calm down, shut up and put their heads down and go to work. Yeah, you know, and, I know this is a different sport, but to me, having a guy like Thornton out there is the same as like, I know this is a different sport, but just as a comparison, I was listening to your best friend's podcast yesterday, uh, Mike Wilner's podcast, uh, just because, just because, well yeah, well, only because he had like some guys on from the Canadian Olympic team on there and, uh, they fun. were, they, and they were talking about, um, they were talking about how Jose Bautista is playing for Dominican, uh, right. this year. And <laughs> I don't know what he, I don't think so, but like, <laughs> but, but like, but the point, the point is that like a guy like that being on the team is there for no other reason than name, name recognition. Like he's a big name who's intimidating. And to me, it's, it's, it's different. It's even more pronounced in a sport like hockey, like having him on the ice, he's still who he's still a distraction for the other team. Like they're not, the young guys aren't dismissing him. He's, he's a presence. Well, so it's important for him to be there. In, in the bubble. And, and there was that play in tournament when Toronto lost to Columbus it was over and it was over and it was ugly and you could see that it was over except it wasn't over for Jason Spezza. Yeah. That's right. And you know, he got into what would deem to be a meaningless fight and it might again, I don't know if it was against Felino or not, but the old guys don't die easily. And I mean, whatever, I'll just put this out here right now. I know it's not really part of what we're going to talk about today, but um, Jason Spezza needs to be a Maple Leaf until Jason Spezza doesn't want to be a Maple Leaf anymore. And, sure. and I think that needs to be sort of an honor system contract between Dubas and Spezza. You know, even if it's a little bit more than the league minimum that he's getting right now, it's he's showing over and over and over again that he's still got a lot in the tank. And the intangibles that he brings and the way that the young guys seem to look up to him and love him. If Jason Spezza wants to be a Maple Leaf until he's 42, I have no problem with it. Um, Joe Thornton, we know Joe's not going to be back. I mean, Joe's 42 going on 56 and this is his last crack at it, but you know, it's great that he's here. Mm -hmm. Um, you look at another guy like Wayne Simmons, I would bring Wayne Simmons back for what he does and what he offers. And, you know, you got guys like Matthew and Marner, although, you know, the, the fighting and the old fisticuffs and the truculence, it's not as big a deal as it's been in the past, but there's finally a presence there and there's a presence and you saw it after the first game in Montreal when. Perry and that idiot Sherat, Sherat um, mm -hmm. were running Matthews and Marner and in between periods Simmons had escaped by the bench and, and basically told them what was going to happen if that kept happening and it went away. The Leafs haven't had that in a long, long time. So, you know, even if it's minimal production, I don't think any team should expect 
heavy production out of their fourth line. You need to have your grinders and your muckers, and it's not a goon leak anymore. I mean, Wayne Simmons has been fantastic this series, and he can still skate. So I'm all a proponent of keeping the old guys and having the old guys around, and you know, even if their production continues to decline, as it will, there's enough there. And I think in the absence of Taveras, I think there's a lot that Jason Spets is doing and saying that we might not know about. Probably. There's also a leadership part, too. So on that note, like I think if we move on from from uh, just the Leafs over to the NHL and the, the North Division. So like yeah. I have some thoughts about this, but like, what do you think? Um, I, I think it's a foregone conclusion that this is a one and done, but I don't like it. Um, I would keep this. I would keep this indefinitely. I would. It doesn't need to be in the same format. It, it certainly doesn't need to be that the Canadian teams only play the Canadian teams. That doesn't work. I mean, it was great this year. It was a lot of fun this year, but it doesn't work. We know the NHL and especially affiliates like Sportsnet, they want to see the Leafs play the Bruins. They want to see the Leafs play um, Tampa. They, they That's important. But I think for divisional ranking, I think there's no reason why you can't keep it like this. And you just open up, you know, the cross-divisional play like you've always had, but instead of the Leafs being in the West and, or sorry, in the East and going to San Jose, they, they only really go to Vancouver. I would also put Seattle into this division. So you've got one American team and then that levies everything out, um, creates even divisions across the board. And I think you would have a fantastic rivalry between Seattle and Vancouver. Um, you have Edmonton and Calgary that are already in the same division anyway, and they hate each other. You have Toronto and Montreal, uh, which are already in the same division and they hate each other. And I think what we've seen now, and it was a lot of fun with Toronto playing Calgary a little bit more. I, I mean, I hated it. I, I, I can't stand Matthew Kachuk, but it was a lot of fun. And it was a lot of fun seeing Vancouver get upset over nothing all the time. And it was a lot of fun to see more Matthews and McDavid. Um, and, and, and I think anytime, especially with um, usually or always the first round of the playoffs being interdivisional, I would like to see a Toronto-Calgary first round. I would like to see a Toronto-Edmonton first or second round. I, I think I'm sick of Boston, and I'm not sick of Boston just because I'm sick of Boston beating the Leafs, but I'm just sick of Boston, and I'm sick of Tampa. Would you, would you, uh, well, first of all, I say like, I, I, I think that this format only works if they play everybody else, obviously, because what does this season, like, frankly, like, what does the season really mean? Like, we don't know how the Leafs stack up against anybody else other of than course. the Canadian teams. Of course. Um, but like, one thing I would say, though, is that I think, uh, like, it, it is fun to see the, those teams more in the regular season, for sure. I think that's a good thing. But the playoffs is really like where the rivalries are really made. Um, and I think the current NHL, when I say current, I mean excluding this season, the current NHL uh, playoff format, I think is garbage. The, the first like divisional, like the Leafs always playing Tampa or Boston, like within yeah. the division. I think that the way it should be is the way it used to be. And frankly, the way it is in the NH in the NBA, um, one through one through eight. Yeah. Uh, like you're reseeded one through eight. So that means that it doesn't matter what division you're in. The Leafs could still play Montreal in the first round mm -hmm. or in the second round. Right. Um, it needs to be reseeded for conference. I think that is the, the fairest way because frankly, every year you end up with 
I, I know the Leafs end up losing, but you end up with like the two top teams playing in the first round and one of yeah. them getting eliminated. It makes no sense. I don't well, understand the point of that I, format. I, I'm sick of losing Pittsburgh or Washington in the first round every year. That's the point. Like, would, yeah. wouldn't it be better to have them in like the, I don't know, conference final? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's it. And then you get that one silly team that sneaks through. Um, you know, St. Louis did it one year and, you know, all in all, they were a very good team, but I mean, that's turned out, I wouldn't call it a fluke, but they've been horrible since. And, and weren't they like the seventh team? And they, they I, were, I think they weren't even, I think they weren't even in the playoffs. At, I can't remember what point, but very late in the season, they weren't even in a playoff spot. Yeah. I, it, it gets monotonous and, you know, it's, you know, in pre-COVID land and in pre-COVID world and when things were kind of as they were and, you know, the playoffs started in April, you, by February, it's like, okay, well, we know the Leafs are going to play Boston and when we know Tampa's probably going to play Montreal and then we know that Tampa and Boston are probably going to meet in the, and it just, it takes yeah, the fun right. out of it. This, this year's been fun and um, now there was a lot of stupidity that came along with it, but you know what? I, I give the league credit for adapting and the league credit for doing what they did. I think delaying the start of the North division playoffs so that Calgary could play Vancouver three oh, times. It's just, you know, play it. If you're worried about the integrity of the schedule and if you're worried about seating and if you're worried about those games meaning something to two terrible teams, that's fine. Play them, but start the playoffs. Yeah, let them like, have their own little thing. Well, nobody, nobody cared. Nobody was watching Calgary and Vancouver at three o'clock on a Sunday. No, so uh, yeah, just I agree. Start the playoffs. I yeah, I, I know, and like I, I just I like I said, like I just hate the current, I hate the current format, and and frankly, like I know that the NHL is on this big thing about. Um, competitive balance and they want everybody to be able to compete and i think that's what the whole point is like uh to let the small the smaller markets like sneak their way in and and somewhere fluke their way to the end but i may used to have been on the train and the and in sports about salary caps but now i feel like if you're a big market you should be able to spend the money you want to spend um and 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 so be it if you're a small if you're a small market and can't make it in i don't think it's up to the league to I don't think it's up to the league to ruin the entertainment value for everybody else, just so that the folks in Nashville can be more competitive. Well, I think there's better ways to be creative to get around that. And, uh, you know, the, the NBA, NBA salary cap, it, it confuses the hell out of me. So uh, I, I, I'm not going to jump in on that. But what I think a major problem is, is teams and their ability to retain their own players. But, so, that's, but that's the thing with the NBA. That's the whole thing is that they give you an advantage as the incumbent to keep your own player. You, you the, can sign the them. Rights. Well, not, yeah, the, you can sign them for X amount over the salary cap and for one extra year. So you have an advantage. Um, and you know what? The, and, and if you look at all sports where I know we're Toronto centric and sorry to your mom, like I'm, we're going to be, uh, <laughs> we're going to be Toronto centric, but like, but like, um, uh, you have seen the Raptors consistently retain their own players. Uh, maybe not sure. signing a free agent, but they straight up, but they retain their own players because because they can. And then, frankly, like th those bird rights become a. I know you, they're not going to be called. What will they be called? Gretzky rights. I don't know. 
yeah but, but like they become valuable they become an asset that you can trade and then that goes with the with the player um so it, it it that increases the competitive uh the competitive balance like for for to be frank i would rather although the the raptors are not a small market team um they were like the the small like you know really like they were the unlikely winners of a championship two years ago, according to the U.S. kind of thing, right? right. I, I would rather that happen rather than the rules be changed around so that they could compete, so that they could maybe make it in and maybe make it to the end. They just made smart moves and they were able to make their way. I, I just think that the NHL is trying to stack the cards in favor of those who wouldn't normally be able to compete. And that it bothers me. Well, I, I, I think a way around it, and I, I'm speaking in hypotheticals, and you know, I, I understand that I'm a genius, but my, I think that a team should have, it, it's almost like the NFL, right? In the NFL, they have the franchise player tag, and that's basically where there's a, not an impasse, but a team wants to retain their own player. A team is worried about cap applications. And a team wants to prevent any sort of um, any necessity for that player to leave. So they're able to designate a player and that player is offered a one-year contract at the average of all players of that position. And it's, it's generally high. It's like you, you use it on QBs or you use it on high-end defensive players. So um, I think the designated tag for a QB this year is something like $43 million, which is insane when you think about it. But I think an NHL team, should be able to designate a home developed player and there needs to be an independent cap on that value that does not count against the whole salary cap. So doesn't that, but doesn't that create, um, uh, if I, if I understand it, like you're a much bigger NFL guy than me, but don't think guys not want to be tagged with a franchise tag in the NFL at times. Yeah. Oh, sure they do. Sure they do. But it, it, it's, I thought they don't No, it's not. I thought they don't sometimes. No, no, they, I'm sorry. So, it, it really depends on their position. What it ends up being that way with the franchise tag is it's, it's a, it's a one year salary or sorry, a one year contract at generally a higher salary than they would get anywhere else. So, you know, they might be heading into free agency and they want to get three years, $90 million. Instead of a team risking that they'll give them one year 45. Now, especially in a league like the NFL where contracts aren't guaranteed. Uh -huh. It's, it's a lot smarter in most cases to take the money and run and right. unless you're sort of in that pedigree where you know you're you're comfortable in your position you're confident in your abilities you're confident in your health and you think that you can make the money then sure but if you're in a position where you can take 45 million dollars and i think like 50 percent of that is guaranteed i mean it's it's you're looking at 22 and a half million dollars and if you break your leg in the first game you're paid Right. Well, I mean, so, I think I think that's a good system, uh, like something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. If they did that in the NHL, so, so so to apply to the NHL, and and I'm saying to prevent hoarding, you get one, you get one dedicated homegrown player slot. So what the Leafs could have done instead of going to Austin Matthews and signing him to I think it was five years, at like a, a, almost twelve million dollars a year, they could give him that. Like, say the homegrown cap is thirteen million dollars a year or say it's $15 million a year, or even say there isn't a cap, it's completely the team's discretion to offer whatever they want and the player can walk from it. So if you're a small market team and you're like, well, we want you to be our homegrown player and we're going to give you 
you know, four years at, at, you know, $3 million a year, the player can flip the team off and go somewhere else. But if you're Austin Matthews and the Leafs say, hey, look, uh, you're our franchise and we have boatloads of money and our only restrictions are basically what the league says we could give to you under the regular cap, but we've got this dedicated slot where, what do you want? You want $20 million a year? No problem. We'll give you 10 years at $20 million a year. Here's your 10-year, $200 million contract. And that doesn't have any implication on the current cap. All it does is it takes away a roster spot. So you're rewarding players. You're giving teams the opportunity to retain one player because you see it all the time. You see, you see these poor, like, you know, bottom feeder teams that struggle and struggle and struggle. They get a high draft pick. They get that guy. And then he doesn't want to stay there or they can't afford to retain him. And, and you see it more in baseball than any other sport, but it, you need to be able to force the player to stay. Not, I'm sorry, that sounds terrible. Not force the player to stay, but there needs to Incentivize be them to stay. Well, and, and just eliminate any justification for them to leave unless they're really in a situation where they don't think they're ever going to win. Now, if That's I'm right. Connor McDavid, I'm not too happy with the contract I'm sitting on right now because Edmonton's a hot mess. But, and I guess, you know, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit. Hockey seems to be the one sport where guys stay. And, you know, the, the exception of John Tavares, but John Tavares stayed in New York, I think, for three contracts. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Austin Matthews extended, Marner extended, Connor McDavid extended. You see guys in small markets. You get Steven Stamkos, who's just indefinitely been in Tampa Bay. Uh-huh. Now, Tampa Bay is a great environment, but but still, it's, it's not a hockey market, especially for a kid from Markham. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I'm anti-cap to a degree. Um, you know, you go to situations like baseball where there is no cap, there's the luxury tax, and some teams care about the luxury tax. The Yankees care about it one year, they don't the next. Boston cares about it one year, they don't the next. Well, I think um, it depends, right? Like, I mean, I, I think to like, to like wrap this part up, like I think to talk about salary caps, if if you set a if you set like especially in these weird seasons where there's been no revenue right yeah. i just really think that if maple leaf sports and entertainment or like in edmonton or whatever like montreal like the big hockey markets if they decide like i don't care that we haven't had any revenue we would like to spend more money this year right why like why like just i just think that you should be allowed to if you want to attribute some sort of uh tax to it like they do in the nba then do that. But this notion of like the Leafs have to compete with, with uh, Carolina, I don't, I don't get it. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense, right? There's no other sport where you have a system where a team will move from, where did they move from? Arizona to Winnipeg. Atlanta. Sorry, Atlanta, Atlanta to Winnipeg. Like it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. It should be the, like that, that's like a much smaller market, right? But but like, but but if you were to allow these teams to spend to where they can, I'm like sure you end up with like with like uh, New York and Boston, but even they have their limits. Like if you set that luxury tax at like a reasonable level. But anyway, uh, I know there's other things we want to get to, so we've spent a lot of time on this. Unless there's anything else you want to say, I, well, I think. The, the, I mean, the one thing we can't, you know, hide from the fact is that the Maple Leafs have Brandon Pridham as their capologist, yeah. and a. <laughs> It's, it's hard to feel sorry for a team that has manipulated it the way that they have. And hey, you know what? If you've got the money and you want to spend the money and if you find the loopholes to do it, no one should be complaining. 
but that's the point. I think that's the point is that like they are going like you, you, everybody's going to find a way a way around it. So like you you obviously have the Leafs actively teams like the Leafs actively going around and saying like, hey, do you have an injured player like somebody on long term injury? We yeah. want that guy. Right. Well, I hear, yeah, we'll pay for him. We don't care. We'll spend the money. Right. They, so, did, they did that with Riley Nash for the playoffs and they played him two games. Yeah, well, I mean, so, like, but 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 I mean, but but you you have tons of guys who like never end up speaking again. Like who, who who was on that? Uh, I wonder Robita. if it's something, uh, yeah, Ro- Ro- Robita Island and yeah, um, Lupul Island and and those guys who just disappeared. But I mean, they uh, are they still paying Nathan Horton? No, they traded Nathan Horton somewhere. Nathan but Horton, yeah, they traded was, him. Why would they trade that? They oh, need. Because, I think they wanted a different contract on LTIR. Uh, well, whatever. I mean, I think they also <laughs> did it with uh with uh. What's his name? What's his name was on those like uh, the, what they called the Muskoka Five, uh, number sixteen back in the day, played with Matt Sundin. What's wrong with me? Uh, oh, he was a little bit of a jerk. I'm forgetting his name now. It's okay. Who cares? Yeah, I can't dig into that. But, uh, um, no, they did. They've done it a lot. And 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 what's funny is those guys are just like they're just gone. Like like what happened to Stefan Robita? They killed like, him. Well, that's it. I think he's in Lou Lamorello's basement. Probably, almost for sure. Um, uh, I, I'm obsessed with figuring out who this was now. Uh, uh, and, and and you're going to get somebody obvious, too. Uh, Shane Morrison? No, no. It's uh, Darcy Tucker. Uh, Darcy Tucker, yeah. I think that they did the same thing with him, too. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, another topic, talking about salary caps. I thought we'd, like, move on a bit here to... Uh, uh, move on to the Jays here a little bit. So, I mean, so far this season, uh, if I were to give my feedback, I think that given all of the injuries they've had, given the fact that they have like two and a half starting pitchers, hopefully that's different now, but you know, they don't really have good pitching given the fact that they have not played Baltimore yet and they have not played Detroit yet being, what are they now a game over 500? I think so. Yeah. I think that that's pretty good. I think they're doing okay for where yeah. they for where they are and also considering that i don't think and correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think the yankees have played boston yet i don't think that doesn't sound right yeah no i, I think you're right um uh, and, and and like the only reason that this last week was like extra horrible was because it was all in the division right but like stuff like this happens uh, like weeks like that i think last year they limped into the playoffs i think if i if i heard yesterday correctly on the 93 team or the 92 team, they had like a three and six run in like July or August yeah. or something like that. Three and 16, I think it was something like that. Um, so I think they're in a, I think they're in a good spot if they can get Springer back. And if Manoa turns out to be real. Well, I, I think the world's changed now with Manoa and I'm well, not, I hope so. I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to be that guy. I, I, I don't want to be that guy that falls in love with a rookie picture, rookie pitcher and, um, just assumes that everything's going to change and this guy's going to be indestructible but there's a lot about alec manoa to like and not to mention he's a college pitcher i mean he's not a kid no he's not a kid he's he's older than guerrero he's older than bichette like he's he's been around and he's got some he's got some swagger to him and then he's he's also like you look at nate pearson and you look at what happens with nate pearson nate pearson is fire nate nate pearson throws fire and when it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's bad. And I think we're starting to see evidence that when it goes bad, it gets in his head and he can't get out of it. 
Yeah. Alec, Alec Manoa throws a mid-90s fastball. He doesn't need to hit 100. Mm-hmm. He's got a changeup that's dirty. He's got a slider that's dirty. And and I think the kid's tough. And I think I think anybody that gets parachuted, and you know what, we we both had our opinions on Stroman. Okay. And and I'm not saying that Manoa's Stroman. I think Manoa's a lot more humble than Stroman was. But Stroman made his first start in Yankee Stadium too. Yeah, and, but and but it's just just I know I said the Stroman thing the other day, but I had been thinking about this and like I think the difference is that I think at the time where Stroman was becoming Stroman, um, right. there was a lot of that on that team. Right. Um, I think now there's a few guys. I think like there's some, there's a few guys who would like kick his ass if this guy became more than he thought he was. Like, sure. uh, I don't know how involved like a guy like George Springer is right now, but like, I Why think somebody would tell him like get get out of who do you think you are? I think somebody would tell him. Yeah, well, and I think that's a Marcus Simeon role too. Marcus Simeon, like there's there's guys on this team. I think that that was, I think like as good as those teams were, those like 2015 teams, I think they were probably a lot of assholes on that, on it was, that team. It was, a, it was a team of dicks. Yeah, It was a complete sure. team of dicks. I mean, everybody loved Edwin and Edwin was happy-go-lucky, but no, it was, it was 100% a team of dicks. It was 100% a team that played for themselves. But when you throw that much talent onto a team, Mm-hmm. And when you have that much, you know, personal pressure, it's going to work. I mean, I think David Price added a sense of calm. I mean, we're going to get off track again, but that's what you and I do. Mm-hmm. It, I think adding a guy like Latroy Hawkins to the bullpen added a sense of calm. But, you know, Jose Batista was a hothead. Troy Tulowitzki had an ego about him. Um, Josh Donaldson, I'm pretty sure, did lines of coke in between innings. So, it it was a different environment. I think Stroman fed off that. And I think Stroman was at his best that year. And that's because he had David Price being a dad. And I think as soon as David Price left, mm-hmm. and then you get Aaron Sanchez getting a bunch of hype and Aaron Sanchez hires Scott Boris. And all of a sudden Stroman starts showing little man syndrome and it got away from him. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't see that in Manoa. Again, we've seen one pro start and we've seen a bunch of, um, double A starts and triple A starts, but everything that everybody that knows this guy says about him, I think projects well. And, and, you know, in a rotation that's left-handed, um, especially when Anthony Kay's in there, it's the mix that's needed. And, and hopefully, you know, sometime in July, Pearson gets his head right and Pearson gets his shoulder right. And, and he's up too. And and maybe the pressure's off a little bit because now he's not the guy. Well, I just think, I think though that like also, I, I don't know, not, not to keep hammering on the Stroman thing, but like when I was watching the highlights yesterday, because uh, I didn't see like I didn't see the the first game, uh, but like I just I think they should be super cautious to not let him become that guy because it, the similarities are <laughs> striking. <laughs> like uh, oh sure sure like his, his mom was there like his mom raised him and like maybe there isn't like the the crazy dad. I think Stroman had the crazy. Didn't he have like the super muscular dad who was like a? Oh yeah, his dad ate babies. Like yeah, so it, so it, I, you know, I, I just think that they have to be cautious. But like it was a good start. But then the second side, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but the, I think the first start is always a little bit like I, I take it with a grain of salt because nobody has really seen him live yet. Yeah. Um, would they like? <laughs> uh, did how many innings did he pitch yesterday? Uh, six. So you went through six. So was that like? three times through the order i think so yeah can we, can we pause real quick sorry something's come up here yeah 
Um, so, uh, like, how many, like, have they, like, I guess he made it, if he made it three times through the rotation, um, I guess that's pretty good. They didn't figure him out in those three times, not through the rotation, through the order. Um, is that good? I guess that's good. He made Aaron Judge look bad. Like, he, made, he made Aaron Judge look really bad. Yeah, but, but Aaron Judge, though, uh, sorry, Nolan, uh, but like, like, he'll hit a home run, but like, he either hits a home. If, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is. Maybe he's improved, and I haven't paid enough attention. But doesn't he either hit a home run or he strikes out? No, he's a, he's a really good hitter. So he, but but, he, but wasn't he? Was he not like that before? No, uh, that's more of a, a Stanton. Oh, okay. Oh, Stanton. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, but, no, that's who I'm thinking of. Okay. But it's not just that. It's like I, I don't know if you saw. Did you the um sort of emergency swing? No, I didn't on the see one, it. It was. Uh, he got fooled. He got absolutely fooled, and it was one of the funniest swings that I've seen. And then on the third strike, he took a knee. Like, and it, he, whenever you're bringing a rookie pitcher up to face a team, you always got to sort of give the nod to the pitcher. Um, it's a lot easier to scout a batter's trace than it is to, to scout a pitcher that you've never seen before. But it, Judge is a big league hitter. <laughs> He's uh-huh. and. and and he was completely fooled. Now, I'm not saying again that Alec Manoa is going to do that to every slugger in the league, but not only for Manoa's confidence, but to kind of send a bit of a message like, you know, this wasn't a soft tossing kid that got thrown out there. Uh-huh. It was, um, I think they're going to, they're not going to, you know, handle him with kid gloves. They're not going to baby him, but I don't think we're going to see a lot of complete games. I mean, we're not seeing that anyway. I mean, that's not only not Charlie Montoya's MO, but that's not Major League Baseball's MO. Um, he, uh, but I think they're going to let him go. I, I think they're going to let him do his thing, and they're going to see how it plays out. And, and I think sort of that contrast with the rest of the rotation. I mean, Ryu's Ryu, and you know he's kind of as sturdy as they come, and he's a soft tosser who doesn't miss anywhere. And I think Robbie Ray's been as great as you can expect Robbie Ray to be. Uh, you know, he, he's throwing hard. He's, he's hitting strikes. He's not walking anybody, which is very un-Robbie Ray-like. Uh-huh. And, and Stephen Matz has been fine. So if you put Manoa into the middle of that and give him a different look and it brings a little bit of energy, I think that matters. And then hopefully, again, Nate Pearson can come up and we can get Ross Stripling out of the rotation. Or maybe it just stays this way long enough to, you know, find out who the bottom feeding teams are and see what players are available. There's so, no way this team doesn't do something. So about about Ross Stripling. So uh, I heard him speaking yesterday as well. Um, I mean, he had a really good run in L.A., right? Like, what was his ERA? Like three and a half? I know, it's, I, I know it's the NL, but is this who he is? Is the, the last quote-unquote start because it wasn't really a start he started after the first inning but is, after it, yeah. is that who he is is he somewhere in the middle like is he really as bad as a seven era like no but he's a long man like he, there's guys who just have certain roles but he started in, in la didn't he for a little while and he, he no. i think he even was in the all-star game yeah he was he, I, he, I think it was his rookie year I think it was 18, 2018. I don't think... He's, Ross Stripling is fine. I mean, on a, on a team that isn't... On a team that has a better 2, 3, and 4 than Toronto has right now, Ross Stripling's a perfectly fine 5. 
But on a team like Toronto right now, where as much as we've just hyped up Manoa, you know, he is a rookie. He has had one big league game, and there are going to be days where the wheels fall off. Uh-huh. And you've got Robbie Ray, who does have injury issues in the past and has been known to walk the world. Now, again, he's been fantastic, and I think he's figured out some sort of good juju with Pete Walker, and um, he's definitely outperforming his contract. But Robbie Ray has the, the history of that could end very quickly. And, and I don't think we know what Steven Matz is either. So No. How many starts has he had now? Matz? Six. Six sounds right. Um, um, can you hold on one sec? Oh, yeah. One sec. Okay. Yeah. So Matz has six wins. I just, I just pulled up his info here. Six um, wins in, in like six or seven starts. Let's got to kind of prorate this here. Um, 54.2 winnings. I don't know why I'm not seeing starts here. Um, Earned runs, 26, 60 strikeouts, 15 walks. I mean, I'm looking at pretty baseline stats here. 10, so we're not getting... 10 starts, 10 starts, He's 6 yeah. and 2. 428, it's not, that's not bad in the AL East. No, it's again, it's, it's, he, he's fine, right? But I think that's the whole argument here is it's not a strong rotation. I wouldn't even say it's a good rotation. I think it's an adequate rotation. It's an adequate rotation if the offense performs to its levels. Now, here's what's infuriating about this team. You can have a homestand against the Tampa Bay Rays, who all in all, I don't think I'll ever understand the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't know how they're consistently competitive with zero talent, um, high turnover, uh, a horrible stadium, no fans. I, I just, I, I don't understand what's in the water in Tampa, but how you can look so terrible against the Tampa Bay Rays and then go into Yankee stadium with a rookie pitcher and take two out of three with fans in the stands. It, it, I, I, it's not, you can't even say that the Jays play up to talents and, and play down to other teams because Tampa's a better team than Toronto. I get, I, I don't understand how, and I don't know why, but I don't get it and I don't get what it is with the Tampa Bay Rays and I don't understand why they own Toronto and I don't know what Toronto needs to do to fix it. Well, I mean, like that's the thing about that last series though, is they didn't really own them. Um, Like I think they were all, if not all, like mostly over uh, extra inning games. But there, there, there needed to be some serious flatty heroics. There needed to be some series of laddie heroics, but, but I don't know that this team, like, like they're still super young, right? Like, I think, I think that, that they don't, I don't know if this relates to the Tampa Bay thing, but look at them with like, I, I know it's just one guy, but look at their like seven, eight, nine spots. Like there's nothing, there's nothing there. Right? Well, they're getting, they're getting nothing out of their catching position. And, and, you know, just to kind of touch on that. Yeah. I think Reese McGuire has outperformed Danny Jansen in every level. And I don't know if Alejandro Kirk's coming back anytime soon. I, no. I think he's on I a 60 day DL, isn't he? Well, that's it. And IL, it's, a, sorry. It, it, it's a, it's a hip flexor, which is horrific on a catcher, let alone a short fat catcher. And I mean, I'm sorry, like I'm a big guy. I don't really like talk bad about body types, mm-hmm. but 
this guy, I don't see any longevity there. And, and I don't think there's the power for first base DH. Again, he was amazing in the playoffs. He was great to start the season. He earned the job. He was putting a lot of pressure on Danny Jansen. But this is the type of injury that you expect guys like him to get. And it's the type of injury that's really hard for them to come back from. So I'm not expecting Kirk back at the end of the 60-day DL. And I think even if he is able to play, they're going to send him down to Buffalo and they're going to let him play. They're going to let him catch every day. Like, I don't think we see Alejandro Kirk back in the majors. No, I don't think so either. Like where I was going with it too was if you just put – it kind of answer. I, I I don't know if it answers the other thing too, but if you just put Springer at the top and it moves everybody down one spot, of course, of course. right? Like I think it's a huge difference and it slots everybody back to where they probably should be. Um, and then I don't know if there's a, like when you say you need some Vladdy heroics, I think this team is like super young and I don't think that they know what spots are big and what spots are not big and where they need to be. Like they, they don't know that history. I just think that they, they, I don't know that they I, I like th- that's why I don't think that they're going to win anything this year because I don't think that they know how to I don't think they know any better than what they're doing right now. Well, and I think that ignorance might be their best. Yeah, for sure. It um, works both ways. So I mean that leads to something else. It's when you look at the way that this this team's put together and it's it's nobody's fault. And you know, we're probably going to talk about Atkins and Shapiro and um <clears throat> despite a very rocky start to the relationship with Toronto, I think they've won a lot of people over and I think they've done some wonderful things. I think there was a bit of a miscalculation on the depth of the pitching this year, especially when you see where some of the guys that we could have retained went and what they went for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a bit of a flub, but I think bringing in a Marcus Simeon has been incredible and I, again, much like I mentioned with Jason Spencer earlier, I think he needs to be extended immediately because I'm very worried about third base. And I was a big Kevin Biggio guy that I know he's dealing with a neck injury and maybe that's an answer to a lot of the problems. But he looks lost and he's not taking walks like he was. He's not putting balls in play like he was. Um, the, the bats are very sloppy. There's been a lot of misplays in the field, and yeah, but that, but that but that's the same as like, do you remember? Uh, do you remember when uh, when uh, um, what's wrong? What's the matter with me? Uh, I am old. Um, uh, what's his face? Uh, oh my god! Good old what's his face? Um, 2015, not Jose Bautista, but <laughs> Edwin. Edwin, sorry, what's C? That's a crazy one not to remember. Edwin, when he was playing third base, right? What, what did his at-bats look like? It wasn't until he moved into for, on, over to first base or DH that he became comfortable. So I think, who do you hear? Uh, you hear um, uh, 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 Hazel's husband there. Uh, what's his Parker. name? Barker. Barker. You hear him talk a lot about that. If you're not fielding properly, it affects your at-bats. And oh, I think sure. that's exactly what's happening to him. He's not comfortable there and needs to be put back where he, where in, in his most comfortable position. Right. So like, where, where I mean, is that? But, but how does Simeon resolve that? Because frankly, you can make the argument too, that Bichette isn't the best shortstop in the world. I, I don't know if it's been discussed and I don't know if I'm crazy for thinking this, but probably I would like to see Bichette 
get a couple of runs at third base. I, I, I really would. Um, <clears throat> and then, I don't know if it's an arm issue. I mean, he's got the range. If you've got the range for shortstop, you can play third base. Um, that gives you a couple of options. You can leave Simeon at second, and I think he's done great there. Or you can move Simeon to short. and That's his spot, though, isn't it? Isn't Simeon what, a shortstop? Short? He's a shortstop. And he moved to second, and he's done great at second. So I have no issues leaving him there. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you can look at options. You can look at a stock gap. And then you've got Austin Martin coming, who is a second-base shortstop center fielder. You've got Jordan Gross coming, who's a shortstop third baseman. So there, there's ways around it. I just, I'm not, I, I think Biggio, I, and again, like I'm not trying to be negative. To me, Biggio's your, your 25th man. I think he's, you play him three or four times a week. I think he's starting to become exposed. I think you play him three or four times a week. I think you move him around the outfield, you move him around the infield. You give him some at-bats, you bat them all in the order. I think the problem with BGO is there was a lot of high expectation because he came up with Vladdy and he came up with Bo and they figured that this was like a trifecta of young superstars. is not young. And, you know, with the last year when he was leading off, when he was taking walks, um, when he was putting balls in play, when he was moving runners over, runners over, and he was playing a decent second base, uh, there was something there. I mean, hey, maybe it's a question you put Fijio back at second and you put Simeon at third and see what happens. But for a team that's supposed to be competitive, for a team that has lofty expectations, for a team that has so much talent, there is a glaring hole at third base. And there's probably a glaring hole at catcher. N never mind the starting pitching. Mm -hmm. I think catching is absolutely where, where that like glaring hole exists even more. But like, what happened to the days where, or maybe we're, we're, I, maybe I'm just thinking like way too far back, where you didn't necessarily get like hitting out of the uh, out of the um, catcher, but you got like power out of the catcher. Is that I, dead now? Is that I, gone now? I, I, I mean, we can probably talk about the shift for a lot of things like that. Um, we can talk about the way that the games changed. It used to be. I mean. But those guys still exist. I mean, you've got um, Salvador Perez in Kansas City, who's phenomenal. I mean, he, he hits cleanup. Right. Um, you've got uh, JT Realmuto in Philly, who the Jays were after. He hits cleanup. Um, nice. You know, even not too long ago. I mean, Buster Posey's still a thing. He's not what he was, but he's still a thing. Baltimore for a long time, Matt Whiters was a thing. Um, there's Martin Maldonado. There's, there's guys out there. Um, they're developed and they show up later. And I think there was a lot of hope in um, Danny Jansen because he hit well at every level. I think, and this is kind of what Barker was talking about, what Barker talks about too, <clears throat> excuse me, is he's really trying to be a defensive first catcher. Yeah. And I think he's spending a lot of time working with the pitchers and Hey, that's okay. And on a team like this, a team like this, that when everything's firing and everybody's in the lineup, but everybody's healthy and this team's set the way it should be, you can have your catcher hitting ninth <clears throat> and hitting 200. And, but that's and, not, but that's not the issue. The issue is that like the best player on the team on any team 
is going to be out about 70% of the time, right? Uh, so, so, so you have like one through six where about 70% of the time, at best, they're not going to get on base. And then you have two people, three people at the end who it's more like 80 to 85% of the time they're going to be out. Right. So, so like you have to have somebody at the bottom there who can turn it back over to the top of the lineup. And right now you have like three easy outs. So even just adding George Springer back in, like sure. maybe it makes that two easy outs. Right. So, so like you can have a soft hitting catcher, but like right now they have like a soft hitting third several baseman. people, third baseman who, and the third baseman, he doesn't have to be a hard hitter. He's supposed to be, but he can get on base, right. but, he, but he's not even doing that right now. Right. So, so that creates, that creates, uh, like there's a whole set of, uh, there's a whole set of issues, uh, right now. Like, thankfully the, the bullpen has been okay. Cause the whole notion was supposed to be that this team would outscore their crappy pitching. Yeah. But no, that the hasn't really happened. A wonderful surprise. Even, and, and with all the injuries and, you know, you sign your closer and he doesn't make it through spring training and then his replacement doesn't make it through the first week. It, um, they've done well, they've done really well. Well, you know, you know, I know we're going to have a, a brief talk here on, on management, which I have some thoughts on, but what the hell is going on with, with uh, George Springer? Like, this is like a third of the season now, right? They're gun shy now. You think They're, so? Yeah. Him though? Like, shouldn't he push the issue if he really wants I, to play? I don't, I think they've taken it out of his hands. Um, I don't think they want to look silly. Well, I think I they're starting think, to though. Well, I, I, I think it got to the point where they tried something and they put him in at DH and they wanted to see what happened. It was a huge success. He played three games and hit two home runs. I mean, all being in one game or whatever, but um, he's a major investment. And this is an investment that this team isn't known to make. And this is, um, I, I, I can't say this was a risk, but you, you, if you brought in a guy and you paid him $150 million to be your center fielder, and he can't run down to first. Okay, so so then I'll I'll, right. I'll ask it this way then. Like let's say that, that let's say that. So like I said in the beginning, I thought that I think that given everything, being twenty four and twenty three or whatever it is that they are, something like that, twenty five and twenty four or whatever, they're not in a bad spot right now. No, no. Get, let, let's say that let's say that they were like ten games under five hundred right now. Um, does that change the equation? Are they in a situation where we don't really have to rush him back? We're, we're treading water right now. We're, we're okay. Right. What, what do they say? Like the first 60 games of the season are, are uh, you win 60, you lose 60. And it's what you do with the it's other 60. With the rest. Yeah. Right. Uh, so they're in a very unique position right now where there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of investment, but they're not playing at home. Now, if, if, if there wasn't anything COVID related, if the borders were open and if you could get anybody into Rogers Center, yeah. I think there'd be a bit more, a bit more anticipation around Springer and a bit more of a desire to get him out there. Um, they have time right now. I mean, they just left Dunedin and I felt terrible for them in Dunedin because every home game was a home game for the Phillies or the Rays. Totally. So. Um, heading to Buffalo, it's a little different, but <clears throat> they're not in their park. They're not on that, on that note, did they get back? You think this summer? No, no, I don't. You don't think so? I think I they do. Think so. I think they do. Maybe not in July, but like we're sitting right now at 
right now we have, we have a higher, uh, maybe this, this goes counter what I'm about to say, but right now we have a higher vaccination rate than the US. We've surpassed them um, on first shot. Uh, anyway, um, I think it's something like 65% of adults. Um, I think that there's much less of a risk to bring in teams of a bunch of players who are vaccinated. I could see a situation where in August, um, the Jays come back, even if uh, there's no fans, I could see a situation where they come back. I could, I could see that. Um, especially with the press conference today saying that Ontario is moving up all their doses and everybody's going to be fully vaccinated by September. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what I mean. Maybe it's September, but I think there's a lot of political, play at work and I think there needs to be a lot of other things that have to happen first I, I think there'd be a big push I'm telling you I think that like especially if it's September or August late August August and the Jays are in it um it, it, like regardless of the Leafs I actually like, even talk about the Leafs all of these teams I, I think that if gonna, what's that I, I don't know what the Leafs are going to do because if they get out of the North Division and they have to go play an American team but that's, um, but that's the point. That's but that'll be a test. Like they're not going to pull them out of the playoffs, right? So I'm just saying, like that'll be a test. But like come the fall, after we've been through a year and a half of all of this, there will be. I think there will be political pressure to. We have a team in the playoffs. Like let's get them back home. Like there'll be a. I think there will be a political push to sports. As much as sports is trivial, at the end of the day, it does bring people together, and I think there'll be a rallying point around a team in the playoffs. Of course, more, right? If they're, uh, if they're floundering and they're like way out of it, there's no point in pushing you know, it. Leave but, them in Buffalo because but I don't. I don't. I, do Do you want the Jays to like play their playoff games in Buffalo? Like, no, it, of course not. Right. So I don't know. Like I think I think there'll be a push for that. But like on on uh, on that um, on that uh, uh, do, on, on that note, uh, do you want to uh, like in the interests of of, of time. Like, do you want to talk a little bit about their management? Then we talk about like them coming home. We want to talk a bit about what we think about the Jays management and, and uh, if they're as bad as people thought they were, or what are your thoughts on how they're doing overall? I think, I think they're fine. I, I, I genuinely do. And I, I think, listen, we, there's something about Toronto and management and coaches and that fans become obsessed with who's coaching the team and who's running the team. Uh And I think a lot of this comes back to Alex Anthopoulos and what Alex Anthopoulos did in 2015 and Alex Anthopoulos being the kid from Montreal and, you know, him spraying champagne with Ben Revere and Josh Donaldson. And Hey, I loved it. And I loved Alex Anthopoulos. And well, why though? I'll ask you that. Why? So like in, in all of, and so by, by all accounts, um, like Alex Anthopoulos, uh, um, uh, Alex Anthopoulos um, uh, ran the team like it was a small market team, right? Yeah. Um, and, and he also was not successful for the vast majority of his time, whether it was as AGM or as the GM. And he basically just like, put everything on the table and brought in a whole bunch of people twice. Actually, he did it twice. Once was a abysmal failure yeah. with them. Okay. And then Gross. the second, yeah. And then the second time it worked and all of a sudden he's a genius. So he goes to LA 
which he didn't build that team. He was just kind of like a cog. He had very, very little to do with it. He had very little to do with it. And then he goes to Atlanta. He also didn't build that team. Um, I don't, I just honestly, like, I, I know at the time I was also upset that he was leaving, but like in retrospect, like, um, um, in retrospect, um, why was he such a genius? I don't get it. I, like, he, like, I wouldn't call him a genius and I wouldn't call him, I, I wouldn't call him a premier executive. I, I think Mark Shapiro is a premier executive. Uh-huh. I think what Alex did is what every sports fan wants their team leadership to do. And he took a chance. And, and well, and he pounced. And I think, you know, you look at Moneyball and you look at Oakland and, you know, you look at Mike Wilner and, and the, this emphasis on prospect capital and the need for prospects and the need for prospects and prospects are indispensable. Uh-huh. Prospects are equity and prospects are tangible assets that you either invest in and use on your own or you use as a method of purchase to push your team forward. And if you look at the assets that Alex Anthopoulos gave up to get David Price and Troy Tulowitzki, he won. Mm -hmm. And what what he did, he took a risk. He took a risk and he took a chance and he gave us something to get excited about. You know, you and I joke about this privately as well, is, is Ross Atkins and his, we acquired 52 years of control. I don't care about control. I don't care about a 16-year-old kid from Pawtucket who plays center field and I could be dead by the time he has any impact, if at all. I care about what's on the team and I care about what's on TV. And I care care about growth. Like, again, I'm not saying you trade your Alec Manoas and your Jordan Groshans and your Austin Martins to go and get a middle reliever, but... You need to be prepared to jump when it's time to jump. And the Toronto market with the baseball team wasn't used to that. Yeah, I get that. But what did they think was going to happen? Even if Alex Anthopoulos stayed, right? Let's say he stayed. What did they think he was going to do? The same thing. But I just don't think he would have done it as smartly. He would have just like, I don't think there would have been like a longer, like a, I don't know that he had that. Maybe he did have that vision, but it's not like he would have he would have been able to keep that team together for any longer than these guys did. And I think that given the time frame, like what is this now? 2021. The yeah. last playoff team was 2016, so we're five years removed. The fact that they've like the fact that within five years they okay yes last year was an anomaly, but they did go back to the playoffs within five years, and and they're in a position to compete for a wild card position again this year with a young team that is homegrown after having turned that over. Um, I mean, Alex did wasn't able to do that. He never he never brought a homegrown team to the playoffs as much as he tried. So 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 my my only criticism of it's not of him, it's of the market is what did they think that he would have done differently than this these guys would have? Probably nothing. But the one thing he did is he bought himself a lot of credit. He bought himself a lot of time. Yeah, he and did. I, I think if Alex Anthopoulos found a way to extend David Price for a couple of years and managed to get a little bit more out of Josh Donaldson. I got managed to get another year out of Batista. I managed to get another couple of years out of Edwin and brought Gibby back, and, and you know, and ran it back a couple of years until the point when fans could just kind of recognize that okay, this isn't sustainable anymore. These, but that these did happen, though. But that did it, happen. Seventeen, happened, seventeen was the same team, and they were terrible. Yeah, but 
Atkins and Shapiro took those bullets. And That's what I'm saying. Well, but that, I'm saying like it was Alex had the time, and, and I think this is where it's not so much it's it, it's not so much that people were devastated that Alex left. They were devastated on the way that Alex left and the fact of who came in, and and the fact that they brought in these guys who come from Cleveland who run a ball team like a small market ball club. And they've never had any high impact free agents. They they draft well, they develop well, and then they trade off who they can when they can. It's there's it, it, it was just very poor timing. And at the same time, Paul Beeston was on his way out. And basically everything there was such a spike in emotion where everything went from so great to turning into nothing. And then these the and or Atkins and Shapiro had to take the brunt of that. And then not just that, they were stuck with a really awkward Jose Batista situation. Then they were stuck with an even more awkward Josh Donaldson situation. Yeah. It, it, it was troubled footing. And, and, and they didn't get the credit or the time that Anthopolis would have had. And but, I, I, but, but all of that should have been done. It should be done now because they have arguably signed the top free agent available at their spot two years in a row. Yep. Right. Well, and, not real. Well, okay. He was a premier uh, pitcher available. Fair. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, it, he wasn't a fringe guy. No, of course not. Okay. So he would have gotten a contract somewhere. Maybe they Correct. had to pay him more, but who cares? So what? I think they, had one, they, gave, they gave him one extra year. Okay, and, and but, but that's the cost of doing business in Toronto. So be it. They have to give him. Everybody's to do that in Toronto. Yeah, but so what? That's that's it is what it is, right? Um, everybody would have had to do that. Um, but like, uh, frankly, even even um, even like Canadian players take an extra year. Like uh, Russ uh, took an Martin, extra year. Yeah, had to pay off for Martin. Yeah. So, so, but now, uh, now they've done this two years in a row and, uh, and to be, to be, uh, to give them even more credit, they brought in Springer, who I would say was the premier position player available um, into a team that it was known was going to be homeless for a year. Yeah. And they convinced him to come to play for a homeless team in a, a, uh, in a, a spring training level, a ballpark. Um well, and, but it's not just that they're creative. And, but that's my and, point. This should all be done now. Like this, it, it this notion, be. like this is a profession. I think I said this to you in the beginning. Even in the beginning, I remember saying to you, um, this seems like a professional front office who have, who have been around. Like Shapiro is on like, I think he's on like the MLB, like steering committee. He's yeah. on like all sorts of like, he, he's a well-known guy. Like there's much more clout to, 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 to the calls coming, I think. Yep. All right. So I just think that this whole notion of like Alex should be done now. Oh, it should be. And it, it should have been done earlier than it was. And I, I think there was, um, especially with what's going on, I mean, Atlanta's a fine team, but Toronto's a better team. And this team has been built under the current administration. There's very little ties to Alex aside from Vladdy. So from, that's right. And, they, and he didn't even, he signed him. But he, he was him. nurtured by these guys. Like yeah, he, well, he was given the opportunity under these guys. And yeah, he yeah. was brought up by these guys. And, and you know, when I was talking about they've been creative, they so badly wanted Marcus Simeon in this clubhouse, but they didn't want to put him at shortstop because they didn't want to upset Boba which is fair. Mm-hmm. They paid Marcus Simeon way over market to play second base. Yeah. And and Marcus Simeon didn't want to play second base. If, if they, it, he would have taken an, a lesser offer elsewhere else or to play shortstop 
But Toronto made him an offer he couldn't refuse to come and try a different position to work with Bo Bichette, and it's worked. And again, I, Marcus Simeon needs to stay one way or another. I mean, the good thing is, is there's an option. Uh-huh. So um, I think they can accept – the, sorry, there's a qualifying offer tied to him. So they can make him stay if they want to. Um, well, in the way that qualifying offers work, I don't know if anybody's giving up a mid-level draft pick for Marcus Simeon, but – I, it's been smart. It's been smart. It's been clever. And they've used the tools that they've had and they've done the best they can to build around them. Um, there's been a couple of hiccups, but it, you know, even like you referenced it, there were hiccups for Alex, the, the trade in Florida, although it wasn't a win for anybody. I it, Florida didn't actually make off with bandits. With no, no, they, they, did. they, they didn't. But, but the, the, the thing is what, for, what's his name? Uh, um, Beeston was leaving anyway. Like right. he has retired like eight times, right? Well, now, now he's president emeritus. Yeah, exactly. Which I think he's just like walks in. He just walks into uh, the office and just like uses the bathroom. And uses the bathroom. <laughs> um, but like, but like, so Shapiro was coming in anyway, right? Yeah. Let, let's say that. So Anthopolis was like the little guy in Toronto, Canadian yeah. guy in Toronto. Um, like let, let's say that like I I could see a situation where management came to him and said like okay Alex like you had your fun um, like let's bring the payroll back or let's do this or whatever the case is and I think that if Shapiro's there and they went to him and they said like um, listen if we don't if we if we make Alex do or whatever I'm just making something up but like can you live without Alex Anthopoulos I think his answer was like yeah I mean he's just a guy look I'm gonna bring in another guy like well like, it was like, Alex's like, choice uh, to leave. Yeah, I know. But at the same time, I think that he probably told ownership, like, I don't care. Like Ross Atkins is just a guy. He's like, I'm, I'm steering the ship. Don't worry about it. Like we just need somebody's ass in that seat to make some calls. And I'm baseball guy. Like I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this. And it's really like, I think he's steering the ship. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if like, if he like, if, if like, cause Atkins is still learning. Actually, that's the one thing I don't like. I think that they, I think that Shapiro probably thought like um, I don't need a big name there because I'm the big name, but right. like like I wouldn't be surprised if he got reamed out a little bit for like uh, uh, um, letting some of these pitchers go um, when they could have had them for a pretty cheap price. Well, and, Shoemaker went for two million dollars. Shoemaker is a perfect example. Like he should yeah. be here. He wanted even to if, be here. And even if they only got five starts out of him, I you know I'd, I'd rather have five starts out of Shoemaker than TJ Zoic. That's it. I actually, I think if there was anything that I would have been more upset about, and I, I feel bad for the guy, but like I would have rather the Jays had like a, uh, I, I don't think that uh, uh, um, uh, Montoyo is going to be the manager of the winning team here. I think I think he they're eventually going to have to have somebody not who, well, or, or maybe actually let me reverse trend the course there. Maybe that's the trend now. Maybe the point of the manager now is to just do the directives of the of the of the uh, management team. I think Charlie Montoya has to make catastrophic errors to not be the manager of this team for a long time. Just because to, he follows what he does, what well, he's told to do. To, well, it's it, he's part of the program, right? And the program isn't just the coaching staff. The program is. Shapiro and Atkins and the high performance team that seems to hurt everybody's legs and the, mm. um, the analytics department and, and Charlie's part of that. Again, we all love Gibby, but Gibby wouldn't have survived here. No. So, but it's he not hasn't just been that. hired anywhere else either. Right. So no, but I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of Gibby's choice too. He doesn't want to go be a bench coach somewhere now, but 
it's different when you start bringing in high-profile free agents like the 2015 Jays did. When this team is good, this team is going to be good, with the exception of George Springer, this team is going to be good based on homegrown talent. And that homegrown talent is going to be nurtured and developed by Charlie Montoyo and his staff. So you you don't have Charlie Montoyo working with Vlad and Bo and Lourdes and then the younger kids that are coming and, um, you know, building that trust and rapport with Manoa. And, and then all of a sudden, once the team's ready to compete, they pull them out and they fly in an old Texan. I, yeah, you're I, probably right. This, this is the court. And this is what um, Cleveland did, right? This is how Cleveland operated. They would have continuity and they would have this sort of grassroots development of not just their team, but their staff. And it wasn't until something drastically changed. I mean, Cleveland brought in Terry Francona, but yeah, I mean, just to kind of get back to the point, I don't think Charlie's going anywhere unless there is a noticeable failure and a consistent failure. Like if this team finishes fourth in the division for the next two years, maybe they're looking at doing something different. Well, you know, uh, on that note, I think we've uh, gone way over our a lot of time. So uh, I think we were going to talk a little bit about the Raptors, but like, uh, let's leave them for another day. I think. Yeah, we can bump that. Nothing's besides in Africa right now. Nothing's happening. Anymore. Nothing's nothing's happening right now. Um, the only thing I do as a button to what you said to bring in the Raptors is that like I think that that's what they they did. They you would always have like Dwayne Casey talk about it as a program, as opposed yeah. to right. And then uh, and then um, when he left. Uh, you know, Nick Nurse was already on the staff and he came in. It wasn't an outside guy. It was a continuity of right. that program. And I think if that's what the Jays are doing, um, you'd, 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 you, I think it's, uh, you'd hear Barker say this a lot, stuff like, uh, what does it mean to be the Blue Jays way? Like, what does the Blue Jays way mean? Exactly. Um, and I think that that's maybe what they need to develop. And if that starts uh, with, uh, with him and everybody's following the same rules, then I think that that's a good thing. So on that note, I mean, hopefully your mom enjoyed this episode yeah. or the first five minutes of it. And, She's um, asleep. She's asleep. Um, um, and uh, that's it. So uh, I guess we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll strive to do this on a weekly basis if we can. Um, yep. And uh, thank you for listening. That's that. Awesome. Bye, Thanks. moms. Bye. <laughs>